When you save on auto insurance for driving safe with USAA SafePilot, you'll feel like a big deal. Even in a traffic jam. Save up to 30% with USAA SafePilot. Restrictions apply. Hey guys, this week's sponsor is Automation Finance, and it's open to both accredited and non-accredited investors. We'll tell you more about them during the break. Welcome to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Sam Marks. And I'm Johnny FD. We're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to invest like a boss. Join us each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard-earned cash. Hey bosses, this is Johnny and welcome to episode 139 of the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm out here in Sri Lanka and Sam, where in the world are you? I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina, just starting to enjoy a little bit of social disisolation, dislocation. Dislistening. Social distancing, right? All types of words floating around for uh, how we're supposed to be behaving during these times, Johnny. Yeah. So if you guys are listening to this in you know 2021 or 2022, we're going to try to make this an evergreen episode. But what really sparked us from you know, to decide to sit down and record this is right now is the midst of the 2020 coronavirus stock recession session. And with the dropping prices, I have a lot of friends messaging me, and I'm sure you as well, asking for your advice, whether they should sell or they should buy more. Oh, yeah. It's it's crazy times out there. And we're actually recording this on March 18th. So things are happening so quickly out there. Johnny, I, this reminds me of during the Bitcoin craze, when every time we published an episode, it was, it was almost outdated by the time we published it, when we recorded it to when we published it just a week later. And we're not going to talk too much about coronavirus virus or the markets in this. We will do a dedicated episode on that next week, but just to give everyone a point of reference, things are moving very quickly out there. So yeah, just in case we say anything on this episode that becomes outdated by next week. Well, here's the good news is everything that we are going to talk about this episode, all the principles and all the, all the foundations have stayed true. And what's really great is when my cousin, he you know messaged me saying, hey, I want to open a you know, stock market account. I'm thinking about investing in stocks. You know, should I invest in index funds? What should I do? Mm-hmm. The advice that I gave him, as well as all my other friends who've been, been messaging me over this last week, has been the same advice that I've done for myself and and that I've uh, passed on to my friends for the last two years while the market was going up. So I really believe that these fundamentals are always going to work and always going to stay the same. Uh, but right now, everything's kind of in hyper, you know, hyper drive, and it, it's almost like a kick in the butt where people are like, "Well, I've been putting this on the back burner. I knew I should have started investing, but maybe this is the time." So let's do it. Yeah, it's exactly what's happening to a lot of my friends and even my girlfriend who's here with me in Charlotte right now. Now, we've been talking about setting her up a retirement account for the last two years. It's always something that gets put on the back burner. And now I'm watching stocks fall. I'm thinking this is the ideal time to get her set up with a retirement account. So we're going through all the motions right now together. And we'll talk about that on this episode as well. Yeah. So here's our disclaimer is neither Sam or I are financial advisors. We're not certified investment professionals. But here's the thing is I used to think that was a bad thing. Now I actually realize it's a good thing. And I remember if, if you guys have listened to the first you know, 10, 20 episodes, both Sam and I always wanted to say like, you know, let's, let's never give advice. Let's never get to a point, no matter how much experience that we personally get, no matter how many experts you know, we, we talk to, how many books we read, how long we've been investing, let's never go that, the route of you know, 
of becoming the advisor, what I realized is most financial advisors know way less than the average listener to this <laughs> podcast. And I know this because my sister was a financial advisor for Merrill Lynch, one of the biggest investment companies in the US. And she didn't know anything about investing. The only training she got was how to push the most profitable products, the ones with the highest fees. And that is unfortunately mm-hmm. what most uh, financial planners are like. That's exactly correct. There are some great ones out there, but Johnny, we've done 140 episodes on this. The entire point of this podcast was for you and I to be able to learn by talking to experts and to be able to share that journey with all of our listeners. So we didn't give a little bit of advice or make some opinions after 140 episodes. I think we'd be doing a disservice. Yeah, I I definitely agree. And I think at this point, I mean, the two reasons why I think people trust you and I more than they do, you know, financial advisor is first, we're actually investing our own money in what what we're talking about. If you ask your financial advisor to show you their portfolio and, and the dollar amount of how much they're they're actually invested in the things that they're suggesting to you, they're either most likely they have nothing invested. <laughs> and if they do, they probably are not investing in what they're trying to sell you. So it's 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 really refreshing to be to have a podcast where we can give honest advice on things that we actually want to share and not be limited to the offerings of a company that we work for. Absolutely. And I think you will see is all the advice that we're going to give falls right in line with all the best practices and things that we've learned on this podcast and put into play over the last going on almost five years, Johnny. So so hopefully this stuff stays tried and true and is generational advice that is good advice still in 10, 20, 30 years to come. I, I really believe it's going to be. So the first question that a lot of my friends have been asking well, not even a question. They would, they would message me to say, Hey, Johnny, I'm thinking about buying Disney stock or stock in, you know, Netflix or Royal Caribbean, whatever it is, because it's dropping. You know, is that a good idea? And I guess the first question is, Sam, what, what do you think about buying individual stocks versus buying an index fund? So true. This is the first question that I get from people that are in my network that haven't taken the plunge into buying stocks yet. When they think of buying stocks, they always think of buying a stock. What's their favorite company? What's the company you see in all the high street stores? And you don't actually need to buy a stock. You can buy a basket of stock, which we'll we'll talk about a lot on this episode. No, of course not. Buying individual stocks is a horrible idea for most people out there, especially people getting into stocks. We've recorded a lot of episodes specifically on this exact subject, buying stocks versus buying index funds. And on average, you're going to get even the best stock pickers out there are going to get about the same returns as if you are just to invest in an index fund or AK uh, index fund actually is a mutual fund. But we're, we're going to talk specifically about index funds on this episode. But what the great thing with buying an index fund is you're going to bring the volatility way, way, way down. You're going to bring your risk way, way down. So a good example I looked up last night, Johnny, because actually with all this market volatility, there are some really great buys out there. And I was looking up Nike. So Nike is down about 40% right now. Wow. And its yield is 1.6, right? So you could buy Nike. People sit, look at Nike and say, wow, Nike's down 40%. What a buy. And it's yielding, you know, 1.4%, which isn't great. But if you look at the S&P 500 index, which again, we'll talk about a lot more detail. So if, if you guys are listening in new and you're unfamiliar with some of these terms, don't worry, we're going to go into a lot of this in, in much more detail. The S&P 500 index is down about 35% right now. So it's almost the same. Yeah, it's, it's the same. And it yields 
2.4%. So actually yields more than Nike. So if you were to buy Nike, yes, when the stock market recovers, if Nike recovers in full, you might get a 40% bump, which is great. But that's a lot of risk because something could really drastically happen to, to Nike to, to hurt their business. But if you just buy the S&P 500 index, you will also get that same increase when everything recovers, but you have much, much less risk. And we're, again, we'll talk about this in more detail, but as a whole, buying stocks is a bad idea, especially for the average investor. Uh, we've learned this through our own mistakes, Johnny. Even though we've had a couple wins in buying stocks, we've had more losses, or at least I have. <laughs> I think you'll find that on on the whole with everybody. Well, here's what's funny is I've, I've actually only had wins with individual stocks. Mm -hmm. And this is how powerful this is, where even though I got lucky and the only individual stocks I ever bought were Facebook and Shopify, both which tripled the, or actually 500 times the, the value of what I bought in at. Looking back, I know 100% I got lucky and it could have went the other way. I can see why someone who's just had wins will just preach it and say, oh yeah, this is the best in the world. I, you know, I, I, you know, I, you know, Nike, everyone loves Nike. Of course, it's going to go back up. But here's the, the thing that most people don't realize is with any one individual company, we're not in control of the company going up, the CEO leaving, something happening, and just the stock never never recovering. With the entire stock market, when you buy the S&P 500, which literally uh, means 500 of the biggest US companies, it would mean that all 500 of these companies would never recover for your, your stock to not go back up. And you know, if you do the math, it's basically like you're... You're doing a much less risky gamble for almost all of the upsides. And it's almost silly mm -hmm. not to. And what will probably happen over the next decade, as has happened in history, is some of those companies in the 500 will actually fail. But what happens is when you own all 500, if three of them fail, it doesn't even make a dent in your holdings. It doesn't make a dent in your equity position. But if you own one of those three that fail, then you get wiped out. And that's what that's what you want to avoid in all this. And, and what Johnny said is, and that is why it's so powerful, is that Johnny has had nothing but wins with picking stocks, which is extremely rare. But he's still smart enough to recognize through doing these 140 podcasts that it's still a bad idea. But his story of winning with stocks is what's so alluring. And that, those are the story people hear. Most people don't go around talking about how they got wiped out and their stock losses. They go around telling people at the bar how they made 6x on a stock. And then everyone wants to do the same. But that's why the, the basic understanding of what are you doing? What's your plan? Why are you investing in stocks? You're not investing in stocks to make, to make 10x. You're investing in stocks to make 8% a year over the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years. That's that's what everyone's plan should, should be. Yeah, definitely. So to give to kind of overview of a lot of the terms that, that we had just mentioned. Uh, so an individual stock is basically a small share in an actual company. Index fund is a big basket of stocks or, or companies uh, based on whether it's the S&P 500, which is the 500 biggest, or Vanguard total uh, US stock market, which is 3,500 of the biggest US stock uh, or companies out there, whatever, whatever it is. What's really nice about these index funds is unlike a traditional mutual fund that has a manager, a person where you're paying a six-figure salary to manually go in and think, oh, well, you know, maybe we should buy some more Microsoft. And basically having this guy guess <laughs> what's going to go up or down, the fees are much, much lower than a mutual fund because you don't have that manager. And that's why when people say index fund, yeah, technically you can interchange the terms. But when someone says index fund, they're almost always talking about a low fee 
index fund, like a Vanguard fund, where you're paying 0.004% instead of you know, 1.0% or even 2%. Mm-hmm. And Johnny, why, do you th- why, why are fees so important? You know, it's funny because when I first started getting getting into investing, I didn't think one percent was that big of a deal, you know, either. And because it like one percent for anything else doesn't seem like that big of a deal, right? Imagine if sales tax was one percent, it wouldn't be a big deal. However, what people don't realize is you're paying one percent on the entire amount of money, which means if you can earn ten percent a year, they're basically they're not taking one percent of the ten percent. They're basically taking one percent of the hundred, which ends up basically taking 1% away from your gains. So instead of you making 10% a year, you're making 9% a year. That's probably the easiest way to explain it. Even though that doesn't seem like that big of a deal to a lot of people. But if you do the math, and there's a lot of articles written about this, for the standard person who uh, invests until they're retired, so let's say you invest for 40 years, that 1% ends up being half a million dollars. And half of that is from the actual fees itself. And the other half is from the lost earnings from not having that invested. Wow. Yeah. So everyone out there listening, take fees extremely seriously. And this is exactly how mutual fund managers sell their products or financial advisors. They say 1%. Look, I'm going to go out. I'm going to get you on average 9%, 10%. 1% is nothing for me to be managing this for you. And it's an easy sell because for most people, they think, yeah, that's that's fine. Whatever. If they're making me nine, they take one, no big deal. But as Johnny said, fees make in a tremendous amount of difference. And some of the, the, the leading books on this just talking about investing, they will start with fees, making sure you get the fees in order. Do not accept the 1% or 1.5% fee for a mutual fund. Some of the smartest people we've had on this show put that at forefront of what they want to discuss. Get the fees under control. There's no reason to pay 1.5%. In fact, Meb Faber, one of our early episodes and one of our favorite guests that we've had on, says that he studied all different types of asset allocations and different types of portfolios, bonds, stocks, treasuries, gold, all types of different things that they've put in portfolios and tested over the last 40 years to figure out what the most ideal portfolio is. And he actually said, it really doesn't matter as long as you get the fees under control and stick with it. If you have lots of fees and you make emotional decisions at different times and in your investing path, that's what will kill it. So get those fees under control. Again, we'll talk a lot about these, but in index funds, you can expect fees at or near zero nowadays. So get rid of that one to 1.5% management fee. You don't need it. Yeah, really, really, really good advice. And that right there is why most financial advisors, most financial podcasts, unfortunately, they won't steer you towards a low-cost Vanguard fund because there's no money for them to be made. Even Vanguard, a lot of people don't realize, is a not-for-profit company. It's technically investor-owned. So when you invest and buy shares in Vanguard, you become a part owner of the company. So there's basically no overhead. There's no fees. And that's and unfortunately, there's also no referral fees. So I can't tell you to sign up for Vanguard through our link, even though I would love to, because we've told thousands of people now to use Vanguard, but they just can't afford to pay referral fees or bonuses. So never even got a pen from them. I want a Vanguard pen. <laughs> yeah, that's all I want. I want a pen. <laughs> but they really are the best. So the next kind of big question, right, is so now we've decided, okay, it's smarter for us to, you know, to invest in an index fund. Let's keep the, the fees low. Um, now what? All right, what's what's the next step? And for me, I always tell people before you start investing, and this this people really get upset for, but 
you have to have at least six months of liquid cash in a savings account somewhere. And you don't have to put in, in, in a 0% savings account. You can use Marcus or Ally, which currently pay you know anywhere between 1% and 1.7%. That goes up and down, so it changes all the time. But you have to have at least six months of savings in an account because the worst thing you can do once you start investing and buying stocks is sell early. Exactly. Exactly. And this goes exactly on Warren Buffett's advice. If you went to Warren Buffett and you said, hey, Warren, I'm interested in in starting to invest, what would you recommend? And he would he tells everyone the same advice. Put 90% in an SMP low cost, meaning low fee index fund. Put 10% in cash or treasury bills. Treasury is almost the same as cash. And then get back to work. And why does he say to put 10% in cash or treasuries? It's not to to hedge your, your S&P 500 investment. It's to always have cash available to get through a storm. And now is perfect timing to talk about that storm. We're in the middle of coronavirus. So what happens when everyone looks in their index funds and their portfolios and sees that they're down 40%? People panic. And when they're worried about a paycheck next week or they're worried about losing their job or they're worried about the health of their business, they're worried about laying off employees, there's all these concerns. Now, what do you want to do? You need cash. And the last thing you want to do right now, sitting here at March 18th, is go in and sell your stocks and your index funds when they're 40% down. That is that is death to your investing path in your, your portfolio. So if you have that 10% aside, and Johnny says six to, to 12 months of savings, I agree with that, then you don't have to sell. You can weather the storm in almost all storms from the past, maybe outside of the Great Depression in, in 29. You can weather the storm with six to 12 months. And you can also do a lot of things like Johnny does and Johnny talks about all the time, which is cutting your fixed costs and managing your, your lifestyle and make sure you, sure you don't have inflationary spending. So put that money aside. That's your safety valve. That's coronavirus. I lose my job. I have that money. I'm not selling. And that is critical to any type of long-term investing. Yeah, I I definitely agree. And this is what's scary is everybody thinks that they're going to be okay. They're like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. I, I, I got some money put put aside. And the, the fact is, I think most people are just really excited to start investing. I understand why. You know, I was the same way. I, I remember when I made my first, I think, $30,000, I asked around. I said, hey, I want to invest this money. What should I do with it? And some of the smartest people I knew, or the at least the wealthiest people I knew, they said, oh, yeah, don't do anything with it. Go make more money. <laughs> and I was so angry at them because to me, that was so much money. And I was like, what do you mean? I mean, and what they should have told me to do was find a, a high yield savings account like, um, you know, like Marcus or Ally or whatever it was out, you know, back then, or at least, you know, earn something so I could feel like mm-hmm. I was earning something. But I understand now what they meant. You have to have that money as a backup. So when you start investing, you never have to be in a position where you have to sell. And here's what scares me so yeah. much is some of my friends who have been contacting me saying, hey, Johnny, I want to start investing. I know for a fact that they don't have six months and definitely not a year's worth of money saved up. And I also know they have high expenses. They have brand new cars. You know, some of them have a mortgage. Some of them have motorcycles, you know, and, and I know their expenses are high. And I was like, there's no, and I knew they had credit card debt. I was like, there's no way they have six to 12 months of expenses saved up. And by expenses, I mean, you know, total costs of living expenses. So if you're spending $3,000 a month living in the US, you need to have 
$18,000 at a minimum in a savings account to weather that storm. And if you have kids, you might want to double or triple that. That's exactly right. It's, that's the American way, just keeping up with the Joneses. Most Americans don't have $400 to cover a last minute medical expense. I mean, that's just the truth. Uh, so it looks rosy on TV, but on Main Street, a lot of people just don't have savings put away. But going to your point, Johnny, when you your example of when you ask somebody, hey, I, I've got $30,000, what do I do? You know, a lot of that, and, and I'm sure at that time, that was more than six months of, of uh, livable expenses for you. A lot of this too, it, getting started early is really key because time is such an important variable in long-term investing success and also the discipline, right? Because no matter what you do, if you read five books and listen to 50 of our podcasts, you're not going to be a great investor immediately. It takes time. It takes understanding the movements of the markets and it takes practice, right? You have to go through a storm like coronavirus to feel like you're a better investor and to have that experience. We've all made mistakes. 2007, 2008 was, a, was very comparable to what we're going through now. And I made the worst mistake you can possibly make, which is pull money out at the bottom. And so that's what we're going through right now. And having that money set aside is so important to, to being able to weather the storm. So don't take that point lightly. Make sure you get that set up before you start investing and then take the plunge. And like Johnny said, there's good bank options now, online banks. It'll give you, we're in almost a zero interest environment right now, but Johnny and I both use Marcus. There's also Ally. I think right now in Marcus, I'm getting 1.7%. Uh, so it's, you know, you're getting something. For most people, you're getting a free lunch or a cup of coffee, but you can also have a little bit more money in there. And it, it's um, it's better than getting zero. It seems to be at least keeping up with inflation. So check out those banks, get your savings set up, get your six to 12 months kind of rainy day funds put aside and then start taking the plunge into investing. Yeah, definitely. And I do agree that it is better to start start investing early, even if it's not a lot of money. What I wish I did was I, I, would have, I should have put aside $6,000, which was what I needed for six months of living and then t taking the rest of the money and start investing early just to learn those lessons. Cause maybe I would have made some mistakes. Maybe I would have, you know, panicked and, and, you know, bought and sold uh, at the wrong times. But I think having time in the market not only makes you the most amount of money investment wise, but also just growth wise and allows you to make, you know, to learn from your mistakes early. Absolutely. Before you guys actually start investing, there's going to be two books that I recommend everyone uh, read or at least listen to the audiobook version of. Uh, the the first one is Tony Robbins' Unshakable. That's the shorter, abridged version of uh, Money Master the Game. And what I like about it is it really gets into the mindset and really convinces you index funds hold, don't sell. And the Unshakable, as Johnny said, it's the abridged version of Money Master the Game. That book literally is the reason that we started the podcast. I think we both read it and we're like, wow. Uh, and that will really go into a lot of things that we already talked about such as fees and just looking at what funds you are invested in, maybe through your 401k or your current financial advisor. But just on the, on the topic of these two books, before we get into some of the little more detailed steps and how to invest, make sure you sit down and make a plan. And this goes into the savings part, making sure you have six to 12 months of rainy day funds set aside. But make sure you understand what you're doing before you open your investment account. For everyone out there listening, you should not be thinking about buying stocks or index funds 
for the next 12 months. You should be thinking about it for the next 20 years. And that's a very important piece of investing success to make sure you have the right plan going into it. Yeah, I definitely, I do agree with that. So the other book I was going to mention was The Simple Path to Wealth by J.L. Collins. It's, that's very popular in the, the, the FI community, the financial independence community, but either book, mm-hmm. take a listen to the audiobooks or read them and then sit down and write out your plan. And what we mean by plan is what you're going to do in each situation. So if the, if your, if your stocks drop in by half, are you going to sell? Are you going to, are you going to buy more? What are you going to do? And, and commit to that, you know, and this is why, why I like having dollar amounts and planning things out. Like, and, and we'll talk about this a little bit more in the, uh, actual buying portion of, of today's episode. I don't just buy. I actually plan out all my trades for the next 60 days while I'm, you know, emotionally there and, and things haven't, you know, dropped yet down yet. <laughs> I think, you know, when you're, when you're not in a panic mode and you're not, you know, everything's kind of hypothetical. It's not really your money. You know, you're watching drain down in the red. You can make a lot more logical decisions. Oh, it's so true. That is so true. And this, again, case in point for right now, so many of our listeners have been saying, I'm not investing at stocks. They're at all time highs. I'll wait for a pullback. Well, now everything's pulled back 30% or more, but it is so hard to pull that trigger if you didn't have a plan going into it. If you're just, if you wake up and look at your account as 30% down, it's very difficult to pull that trigger to reinvest. So you want to make that plan when you're unemotional and thinking very clearly, because right now it's a difficult time to think clear. Oh, there are so many people who have been sitting out of the market for the last two, three years, just holding cash saying, oh, everything's too expensive. And now that everything's on sale, (laughs) they're still waiting for it to go down. It might not go down any further <laughs> it might just go back up or it might go down and they might they might think oh well now it's too far down or now there's a big problem so without a plan it, people might just end up sitting on cash and losing two percent to inflation every year and not making money guys rich guys and rich gals out there are buying great companies at a discount and poor people are buying toilet paper when they should be investing in index funds. But that's the emotional road that we go through in times like this. But this is this is an opportunity time. And I'm glad we're talking about this on this episode, Johnny. So up next is, let's say someone's ready to invest. And let's say they have X amount of money, whether it's $10,000, 30000 50000 100000 Should they put it all in at once? Or should they put it in slowly or dollar cost average? Sort of the technical term for this would be lump sum investing or dollar cost averaging. And it it can be you're just new to investing, you have a little savings put aside, but it also could be that you have a big windfall, uh, you have an inheritance of some sort, and you're not sure what to do with it. So we did a dedicated episode on this. And what it comes out to be is if you were to take a sum of money, let's just say $10,000, and you were to put it all in the market, okay, well, that can be sort of scary, right? So what you might want to do instead is say, hey, I'm going to put in a thousand a month over the next 10 months. And that would be called dollar cost averaging. It doesn't matter if the market's up, down, sideways, you're going to put in a thousand a month. Most people's comfort level is to do exactly that. Put in a thousand a month or dollar cost average. If you're looking strictly at performance, whether the market's up, down, sideways, all times highs, or a 30% pullback as it is right now, you're actually slightly better off to put it all in at, at once in a lump sum. Dollar cost averaging, the way you can look at that is it's a, it's essentially buying you insurance, right? And so you can imagine if the market's going up and you're putting in a thousand each month, well, 
you would have actually been better putting it all in at once because the market's going up. Now, the insurance, in a sense, kicks in if the market is going sideways or down a little bit. If it's going down, if you put it in all at once, your total value is actually going down. But if you're putting in each month, you're actually buying it while it's going down, which will benefit you more in the long run. So they did multiple studies on this and they found that dollar cost averaging will cost you somewhere around one to 1.25% historically. So think of it as buying insurance. If it gives you that comfort, fine, you should dollar cost average. If you're strictly going on historic returns, you're better off to do it in a lump sum bump, but that can be a scarier decision. So my opinion, there's not a right answer. You should do what you're comfortable with, but you need to stick to the plan. In my case, what I've done or what I did back in the day is I did a lump sum and I think that was the right decision. But this is this is always a discussion in the boss lounge. I think the main thing is you want to understand it, Johnny. You understand the dynamics, the returns, what what the actual difference is, and then you make a decision and stick with it. Yeah, 100% agree with that. And if you guys want to know more, we had on William Bernstein who did a whole episode about this on episode 16 of Invest Like a Boss titled Lump Sum Investing versus Dollar Cost Love Average. that guy. Yeah. Funny story is three weeks ago, my friend Lydia, she messaged me on WhatsApp saying, hey, Johnny, you know, I'm thinking about starting to invest <laughs> some money. And this is actually before the, the downturn. This was, you know, the end of April when everything was still rosy. Everything was fine. There wasn't m- no much coronavirus uh, panic. There was no, um, there's no recession. And even then I told her, you know, you should probably just dollar cost average, just you know, and because and at the time there was there was no there's no reason to, but the the reason why I told her is said it's it, you'll feel safer if you just if you put it all in right now and it starts going down next week, you might freak out and you might kind of fall off your investment track. But if you just put it in slowly, you know, uh, over the next couple of months, you're gonna be guaranteed to be okay at least. Is she still doing that? Yeah. And, and you know, I, th- I think she she feels very fortunate that that I, t- I told her that advice mm-hmm. because I think if she had put it all in and she saw it all suddenly drop by thirty percent, it would have really ruined her day. Yeah, that's exactly it. So it's it, again with the market the way it is right now, it's perfect time to to use these examples. Up until coronavirus, if you had put. $10,000 into the market going back 12 months ago in a lump sum, you would have said, well, that was definitely the right decision, right? Market's just been on a, a rocket ship up since then. But now with coronavirus, you're happy that you were dollar cost averaging so long as you can stick with that path, as Johnny was just saying his friend was doing, um, you, you'd be definitely better served by dollar cost averaging. So again, no right or wrong way to do it. But I do th- agree with Johnny that if you're new to investing, the safer, less emotional way to do it would be to dollar cost average. Pick 10 months, 14 months, 18 months, whatever you want to do. Pick that time frame and, and put your money in in equal increments each month automatically. Yeah. Or even three or six months. Like It doesn't need... You know, it's probably a bad idea to, to do it over 18 months because it's a little bit too long unless you're really, really scared. But you know, you know, or unless you know, maybe, maybe if you if you sold a big company for ten million dollars and you're like, well, I don't want to gamble this putting it in even the next year. Let me put this, you know, invest this in over the next three years. You know, it just to feel safe. That might be an okay okay scenario. But if you have ten grand or fifty grand, I would say just do it over the next three to six months. You'll probably be fine. Yep, agree. Support for today's episode comes from Automation Finance. The key to building wealth is to start early and compound returns over time. 
Automation Finance offers real estate-backed investments for anybody with investments starting around $250. The company's fourth fund, Reperformance Fund 4, offers up to 8% annual returns to investors, pays interest monthly, and offers best efforts liquidity. The three prior funds return 21.5%, though past performance is no guide for future performance. Even though it's been 10 years since the global financial crisis, more than 2 million homeowners remain deeply delinquent on their mortgage payments. Many face foreclosure. Automation Finance buys these deeply distressed mortgages at a discount and works with the borrowers to avoid the loss of their homes. Once the loan is restructured, AF can hold and collect payments or resell them for a profit. Since launching in 2015, Automation Finance has resolved over 2,000 distressed mortgage loans with a par value of $200 million, saving more than 2,000 people from foreclosure and generated tens of millions of dollars in value for its investors. Now every investor can join the revolution to start building wealth for your future and earn up to 8% returns through monthly dividends. Visit automationfinance.com slash boss to review the investment memorandum and sign up for an account. Remember, there are no safe investments. Even the purchasing power of cash is eroded over time. Please review the offering circular in detail before investing. All right, so up next is where do we put this money, right? Should we put it in the Dow Jones, the S&P 500, VTI? What, what are all these terms? So these terms are index funds. Uh, well, not index funds. These are indexes, Dow Jones, S&P 500, VTI. So Johnny always gives me grief because I talk about the Dow Jones a lot, which is what most people probably see at the headline. It's It got to a peak at or near 30,000. Whenever my dad was watching the financial news growing up, it was always talking about the Dow Jones. Now it seems like the S&P 500 is, is the cool one to, to follow. And all these have ticker signs such as VTI. And these are just, these are how to identify the, the index or the fund without saying the full name. So VTI is actually the total stock market index, uh, which is one of Johnny's favorite and kind of the centerpiece of his portfolio. So Johnny, what are some of the, the ones that you have that come to mind? So I definitely would not invest in the Dow or even look at it. I think the only reason why it's popular is because news companies like Fox or you know CNBC love screaming these big numbers because the Dow Jones sounds like a big thing and the number ranges anywhere between twenty to thirty thousand. So it sounds like a big amount versus if you talk about VTI, the number ranges between a hundred to one seventy. So it just doesn't sound as cool. But the reason why the Dow Jones doesn't really matter at all for for the economy or most people is it's only 30 stocks. It's literally only 30 companies. Mm -hmm. And if those 30 companies happen to just not do well, then it, it drops a lot. Or if they happen to do good, then it goes up. But the S&P 500 is is more than 10 times. It's almost 20 times the size. It's it's 500 of the biggest companies in the stock market. And what, what I like about VTI or any kind of... Uh, and, and that's just Vanguard's version of it. Any kind of total US stock uh, market index is that's 3000 plus companies that indicates the US economy as well as your investments way way better i mean literally a 100 times better than something like the dow jones so you would i would never recommend anyone <laughs> invest in the dow so a lot of these indexes that we're talking about dow s&p 500 total stock market index which is vti most of these are going to move somewhat in parallel mostly in parallel actually i would say so if you look on a typical day and the s&p 500 is up very good chance the dow jones is up in the same relative movement as the S&P 500, as is the Vanguard total index. They're going to be pretty close. So what the most important thing here is, 
<clears throat> pick something that you're comfortable with. Pick something that you understand. Pick something that has companies in it that you know of. So the Dow Jones has a lot of companies in it that people are not really familiar with. Millennials are not particularly familiar with. It's a lot of industrials, commodities, companies like Johnson & Johnson. S&P 500 will have more companies such as Amazon, Apple, companies that millennials are a little bit more familiar with. And the Vanguard total uh, stock index is going to have all stocks. So one thing that I like to do is recommend that because, hey, you don't have to think about a country or a region or an industry. You're just buying all the stocks in the world. In my opinion, it's the easiest thing to understand. You say, okay, the economy, global economy is healthy. Stocks are moving up. You don't even have to look at your portfolio. You don't have to look at the financial news. You have that warm feeling of knowing, hey, I own all the stocks in the world, which means if the economy is good, you're going to be improving your net wealth. But if you own a sector fund or if you own something, a smaller index, it's harder to understand. You might get a little emotional if certain markets or regions are going down and certain other ones are going up. So just make sure whatever you buy, make sure you understand it. Look at the companies within it and make sure it's something that fits your long term plan. Yeah, definitely. So if you wanted to get that kind of broad index where you own not all the companies in the world, but a big um, amount of them, you would get something like VTI and Vanguard's VXUS because VTI is just the US uh, big stocks. And then VXUS would be the total international stock uh, market. So kind of between those two, you're, you're pretty covered uh, with, I don't know how many exactly, but thousands and thousands of, I mean, you know, obviously the, the small mom and pop shops are not going to be uh, in there, but VXUS has 7,500 uh, stocks. And, you know, that plus VTI, you have basically 10,000 companies. And that's all across the world. And you're, you're pretty set. But that's actually a, a good question. Uh, I think traditionally, everyone has been investing in the US stock market, or at least us Americans. But our podcast is very international. What if you're from Sweden or Australia or the UK? Are you going to invest in, in the US stock market or the Swedish stock market? <laughs> That's a great question. Well, research has found that there's this thing floating around that's called home country biased. And everyone has it, whether you're American, Canadian, Australian, Swedish, uh, from South Africa. And what it means is you tend to buy too much stock from your home country, right? So if you're from South Africa, you might end up buying, being way too overweighted in South African stocks, uh, same as Australia, et cetera. What you want to be historically is you want to be about 50% in American stocks or from the USA, and you want to be 50% the rest of the world. And if you look at most people's portfolios in the USA, I look at my, my roommates, my neighbors, and people I hang out with, they're mostly in U.S. stocks. And what you want to do is you want to get balanced. You want to be 50% international. There's very good ways to do that. But something to keep in mind is if you're in the S&P 500, while you're in primarily U.S. stocks, those are actually global companies. Something like McDonald's is in there. Well, McDonald's, its its home is in America, but it's a very much an international stock. It has business from China to uh, South America. So a, a lot of those, you have, to, you have to look a little bit deeper in your portfolio and see, okay, I might own companies that originated in one country, but they're very much international stock and have international coverage. Yeah, you're definitely right. So just looking at the top 10 largest holdings of VTI, you have Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, Google, Facebook, Berkshire Hathaway, Johnson Johnson, uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, mm. Visa, Procter and Gamble, and I would say, you know, 
probably everyone listening to this recognizes at least half or most of those names and you could probably buy those products in your home country you know or they have you know some kind of business in, in your country so we're lucky as Americans that we don't we don't have the same issue as someone from South Africa uh, because we can be a little bit more home country biased. If if you're from South Africa, definitely don't put 100% of your stocks in the South African economy. You know, you're probably going to be (laughs) taking a big risk. Uh, I would say 50-50 is probably the prudent thing to do. But as an American, I believe in the American economy and these big companies. So right now, I'm 80%... U.S. stock market, so VTI, but that includes the these big international companies, and 20% VX U.S., which is the total international stock market. This is a really good point. And again, I was setting up my girlfriend with her first investment account last night, and it went through her Thai bank. Oh boy, Johnny, you should see how complicated this was to set up. And of course, when she sets up her account, she gets an email from an advisor there that's trying to sell her on a Thai-based index fund that has this 1.4% management fee and only has access to, it only tracks Thai companies. I'm like, well, that just sounds like a horrible idea. (laughs) And and it's like an $80 commission to put in five grand uh, into that fund. So that's that's actually called a load fee, might be part a a transaction fee, but all that stuff is nasty. A, tracking just a small country like Thailand that's super volatile, B, the load fee, and C, the management fee of 1.4%. So just with a couple clicks in that online account, you can quickly find out that you can you can buy an S&P 500 index fund. So that's, of course, the, the smarter decision to do. Now, she's from Thailand, so she may want to put a small amount of money in a Thai index just because there might be companies in there that she wants to support or that she likes. But as a whole, it's not a great investing decision to overweight into that specific index. Yeah, definitely. And the reason why most people, especially in the the you know, financial independence community, or even the Boggleheads, the people who are really big fans, uh, almost cultish fans of uh, John Bogle, who is the uh, founder of Vanguard, which who I appreciate a lot. Historically, over the last 30, 40, 50 years, the US has been the fastest growing economy. So if you invest in the US stocks, you would have made the most amount of money. And the problem is every single investor ignores the big flashing red warning sign whenever you log in your account that says past performance is not an indicator of future performance. And everybody ignores that for whatever reason. We're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They just have the disclaimer there. It's like the smoking, you know, causes cancer warning that everybody ignores. <laughs> it's, it's, it's there for a reason. And. The reason why I have at least 20% of my investments in international stocks, and I should probably bump that up, is because chances are the U.S. isn't going to be the biggest or fastest growing economy in the next 20, 30, 40 years. So it is up to you guys. At the end of the day, nobody knows what's going to happen in the future. And anyone who tells you otherwise is, is full of shit. That's true, true. Well, Johnny, this episode just forced me to log, to log into my Vanguard account, and it's not pretty. And now those little emotional bugs are flying around my stomach, making me all anxious. And this is another good point, is stick to your plan, right? And don't check your accounts every single day. Johnny and I have said multiple times, if we could just give lock up our accounts, give the keys to Vanguard, and create an automatic plan that just worked for the next 10 years, we'd probably do it. Because logging in and checking things is pretty unhealthy. And with this podcast, we, we tend to do it a lot more than we need to. But yeah, checking your account balances, any t- anything more than monthly, I would say even quarterly or, or twice annually, is 
too much and it, it's probably going to be unhealthy for you. So I just logged in to, to check uh, my account and, you know, everything's red. It's emotional. And this reminds me of 2008 when I was in college and I did the same and I freaked out. I had maybe $11,000 I'd saved up through high school working at golf courses, uh, restaurants. In college, I worked again at restaurants and I put all my savings into a couple of mutual funds. I woke up one day, the market was down four or five days in a row and I had lost, I think I had lost like 35%. I just said, sell, you know, I sold it all. And that's what a lot of people are going through right now. Um, so thanks to this episode, I just logged in and, and saw it and now I'm, I'm feeling anxious again. You, you want to say how much you're losing? Uh, well, it's a lot. Uh, you know, it's my account's down. I can't, it looks like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's down in, in parallel with the market. So is it, is it down like, like uh, a month's rent or like, uh, you know, a Hyundai, a used Hyundai or <laughs> <laughs> It's down like a villa, uh, a five-bedroom villa in Phuket. Oh man, okay, that that that's a significant <laughs> down then. Yeah, yeah, it's horrible. But I understand it, right? I mean, anyone's going to look at that and say this sucks, right? But we've been through this enough. There's there's two scenarios that, that play out of this. One is capitalism dies, the world resets, or the world comes to an end from coronavirus, which is less than a 1% chance of happening, uh, or B, things recover, and maybe it takes six months, 12 months, 18 months, but things are gonna recover and go back to all-time highs. And then this, you're gonna look back on and say, either I took advantage of this opportunity and stuck to my, my principles and my plan, and I capitalized on it and made money, or I didn't, and then I, I, I effectively have taken nothing away from this podcast after 140 episodes. So <laughs> you just gotta, you gotta bite down on your mouthpiece and stick to the plan. Yeah, and this is why it's so important to have the plan, but also to keep yourself educated by reading these books and listening to podcasts like this. It's because we can logically understand it. You could say, yeah, yeah, if it drops 30%, I'm just going to hold because I understand, you know, that's just what happens. But saying it's going to drop 30% on future money that you haven't invested yet versus logging in and seeing your net worth, your actual worth, which, you know, we we associate with our human worth, our you know, our personal worth. Yeah. Be dropped by so true. $30,000 or $100,000 or $200,000. It hurts. And anyone who says otherwise hasn't experienced it because you can logically say, "Oh yeah, 30%, <laughs> that's fine." But when you see that red and you see what you used to be worth and what you're worth now you feel like a piece of shit you go look in the mirror you're not as you're not as handsome as you used to be luckily <laughs> by you know having each other's back you know having the boss lounge which we're going to give you guys all an uh, invite to and having this podcast keep you know having these books keeping everyone on track and educating you know ed educating ourselves we can logically overcome that emotion and the reason why we know that it's going to recover is because it always has and as sam mentioned the only other alternative is if the U.S. collapses or the world ends. And in that case, money doesn't really matter that much anyways. So that's right. Either the you know people continue to buy things and spend money, you know, once this is over and, you know, things are more expensive, a hamburger is going to cost more in 10 years from now. And, and if you can believe that your rent, an average meal and, you know, you know, whatever else, you know, your groceries are going to cost more 10 years from now than they are today. That means these stocks are going to be more expensive and worth more 10 years from today as well. That's right. Ray Dalio, uh, uh, if you guys are new to investing, 
this is a name that you'll continuously hear. He wrote some great books, including one called Principles. He, he talks about the Great Recession going back 2008. And he was saying, you know, everyone in the, the investment community thought it was the end of days. They thought capitalism was dead. The whole financial system was going to go under and reset. And at his firm, they just decided that, look, if we're, we're down 40 percent, 50 percent, either everyone's right and it's not going to matter if we start buying stocks anyways, we, like if, if the world's going to, to absolute ruin. If, if we're right and if things recover, then we're going to make a killing. And if we're wrong and the world completely collapses, it doesn't matter anyways. We're not going to be we're not going to be blamed for if, if in that scenario. So their obvious decision was to start buying stocks and they ended up getting it completely right. And I, you know, I, I see all the parallels right now to to when that happens. And for all the people out there, I hope you're sticking to your plan. Don't make emotional decisions, but rather put yourself in a position to capitalize on this, because I think I think in 12 months, this is all going to be over. Think of all this money they're printing around the world. Interest rates are at near zero. You really can't afford not to be invested here because things will go. If things recover, everything's going much higher. There's going to be more money in the market. Assets are going to continue to inflate. And if you have just money in the bank, which you should have, but not not all not not more than it's necessary. Those savings are going to deflate away, unfortunately, uh, or erode away. So yeah, very very good points. Investors are going to make money here. It's just going to take time and, and balanced emotions. Yeah, definitely really good points there. Uh, so two other things to kind of keep everyone sane and and logical is. If you buy a thousand shares of VTI, regardless of how much you bought it for, right? Uh, whether you bought it for a hundred and hundred thousand dollars or two hundred thousand dollars, just to make it easy, you still own the same amount of shares. So if you have a thousand shares of an index fund, regardless if the price is now worth half of what you paid for it, or if it doubles, you still own a thousand shares. And what's nice about that is as long as you hold on to it, it's always going to be worth a thousand shares. In the meantime, it's paying a dividend. And it's averages, you know, a little bit less than two percent. But what that does is that not that pays you two percent of you know whatever amount of money you have in there, which is nice. You know, that's covering inflation. That's kind of money in your, you know, that's being reinvested. And the reason why I'm confident and I know that the stocks will eventually go back up and the smart, logical, prudent thing to do is to hold while it's dropping is because stocks are not just collectible pieces of paper like baseball cards that have no actual intrinsic value. Stocks are little pieces of paper that say you own this um, this share, this percentage of a company that's actually selling products. So as long as you believe that Pepsi and Coca-Cola and Apple and these 3,500 companies are still going to make things and sell things and grow their profits, they will eventually recover. And this is not the case for things like Bitcoin, which are complete speculation because it could go up, but there's no real reason besides what people are willing to pay for it. It's just like, you know, a gold, you know, gold or uh, comic books or Beanie Babies. If people are willing to pay more for it for whatever reason, because maybe they have a use for it, then the price goes up. But while in the meantime, it's not produ- it's not a business, it's not producing anything. That is right. Well, Johnny, what do you think about, we've talked a lot about stocks on this episode because people initially, when they think about getting involved in the market, they think about buying stocks. What do you think about stock versus bonds for someone getting started today? What's funny is you always hear, heard that you know allocation like 80, 20 um, stocks versus bonds. And they say, you know, as you get older, you know, you want to have uh, more bonds, make it safer. And no one really ever explained 
why you want to have bonds because bonds just make less money. And I remember when I first heard it, someone says, you know, do you want to make, you know, eight to ten percent, or do you want to make, you know, two to four percent? I was like, well, of course I want to make eight to ten percent. Like, why would I even bother with bonds? And the only reason why you would want a part of your portfolio in bonds is in case you need the money and you need to sell something, you can sell the bonds, which are usually pretty stable, and get that money out and be able to use it versus selling a stock, which when it's down, that's when you end up losing money and locking in those losses. Mm-hmm. So bonds are less volatile. They pay usually a higher yield than stocks. Uh, you might be able to get three, four, five percent with bonds versus kind of one, two, three percent with stocks. One thing that I don't like about bonds, Johnny, is for Americans, they're taxed at a much higher rate than for stocks. So right now on dividends of stocks and index funds that contain stocks, I pay, I think, 15 percent on those dividends. But on bonds, you're going to pay your ordinary income levels, which can be much higher, 20, 30, 40 percent for a lot of people. So and that is also also a good point is real estate funds. A lot of people love real estate funds and you can buy those in Vanguard or um, in Vanguard indexes as well. Same thing, real estate income is taxed at ordinary income levels. So I try to leave those funds out of my taxable accounts and try to keep a little bit of those into my tax-free retirement accounts. I know that's a little bit further along probably than this beginner's episode, but something to just consider. Yeah, I would say we could spend you know maybe just two or three minutes talking about taxable versus non-taxable accounts. I don't want this to overcomplicate people, but basically a non-taxable account, aka a retirement account, the government's giving you kind of some of these benefits of saying, right, well, this you're just saving for retirement, so we won't tax you now. We'll, we'll tax you later when you actually want to pull it out. Uh, these might be things like a IRA or 401k, you know, things of the, those natures. And th- they have a lot of tax advantages. However, that means you definitely cannot pull that money out until you're 57 and a half or whatever that age is going to be, which is probably going to be higher by the time you actually retire. That's right. So my kind of quick advice to everyone would be if your company that you work for matches your 401k, invest up to that amount. Because I remember when I was 25 and I got my first corporate job and you know my HR manager asked you know, do you want to invest? We'll match up to, you know, whatever the amount was, uh, you know, three, 500 bucks a month or something. And I said, what do you mean you'll match? And like, what does that mean? They're like, well, we're, we're like, if you put in $500, we'll also put in $500. And I was like, so I double my, <laughs> my savings. She's like, yeah. And I was like, well, yeah, it's a no brainer. Why would I not do that? Why, why would anyone not do that? So, that is a, is a perk a lot of American companies give. So if they do that, I would say max that out. And then aside from that, I wouldn't worry too much about investing in taxable or non-taxable aside from if you speak to your tax account and you can get a major, major tax break, you know, maybe you're making too much money right now and you can, you know, you can put some of that uh, into like a SEP IRA or something. But in general, it's a lot easier to pay the tax now while you know how much it is and just have it in an account where you can do what you want with your money. You can take it out in a year or two and not worry about it. What, what are your thoughts, Sam? Yeah, I think there's there's pros and cons to both. Of course, my dad always really encouraged me to max out my Roth IRA one uh, for IRA one K my Roth IRA a Roth IRA in the US is a, a tax-free retirement account where you put money in that's already taxed but then that money grows up until I think it's 59 now 
tax free. So when you it grows tax free and when you pull it out, it's tax free. And if you the maximum right now is six thousand. If you put six thousand in, you know, starting at age twenty five every year, it's a very good chance that that is going to be worth millions, uh, at least more than a million by the time you retire and it's all tax free. My my concern into my twenties was always fifty nine. Uh, there's no way I'm going to live to be fifty nine. And if I'm a millionaire by fifty at fifty nine, I don't even know if I'm enjoy it. Screw that. I want to be a millionaire now. Let me take this five grand and invest in all this speculative stuff or in my own startups. And actually that decision paid off. But I also wish I had continued investing in my Roth IRA because I've just seen how powerful the time variable is to long-term investing and how much you can start really gaining compounding interest in the later years of 15, 20, 25 years out. So I wish I had done it uh, I think there's pros and cons on both sides. Maybe they move back to retirement age, so I can't touch it till I'm 65 by the time I get there. Uh, maybe they start putting a lot of controls on what you can invest in. Like maybe they force it into U.S. Treasuries because there's just so much money in uh, U.S. retirement accounts. So you, you don't know how things are going to play out. As Johnny said, I think it, it makes sense to do both if you can, but also maintaining a little bit of flexibility um, through a non-retirement account absolutely makes sense. However you balance it, that's that's your personal decision. Yeah, 100% agree. Like have, don't have 100% in, in any one, you know, even do 50-50. It's, it's up to you guys. It's Honestly, it's not that big of a deal. The, here, we're fighting over the difference between a few thousand dollars when you have a million dollars <laughs> invested. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, but here's the thing is that is why most people don't get started with investing is people get bogged down in the details and they get they get overcomplicated. And that's why I wanted to make this episode today and keep it simple is yes, there are, there are very important things to learn. But as long as you get those, you know, those core, uh, you know, 10% of things correct, you don't have to worry too much about all the other you know, possibilities because there are endless possibilities. And we really want everyone to have just enough info where they can do better than 99% of their friends and family out there and that they're going to, you know, w- you know, wake up in 10, 20, 30 years and have enough money for their, for their, for their future. That's my goal. And, and that's and that's what it's all about, right? We're, we're investing to create a better quality of life uh, and not not a more emotional one. So taking the emotion out of it also starts with understanding this stuff. Read books, listen to podcasts, and most importantly, get started because you can read all the books and, and gain all the knowledge in the world. But if you don't apply it, you're still going to be behind the, the learning curve. So get in the game, uh, understand what, what you're doing, get practice, get experiences. This coronavirus is the best investing experience that anyone can go through because it's going to throw your emotions in every single which way, both from looking at opportunities to feeling the pain of, of seeing your portfolio drop. And you have to be able to go through a few of these. If you know anyone that's that's older than us, Johnny, went not only through coronavirus, the Great Recession, but also went through 2001 with, um, with uh, what was it called? No, 9-11, right? Uh, and there were some super volatile times in the last 20 years. And the more you go through those and, and weather those storms, the better investor you're going to be and the better uh, information you'll be able to pass on to your next generation. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. So definitely get started. So if you guys are ready to start investing and you've followed all the steps that we had outlined above, you've read one of the two books, you have six months of savings, you've written down your plan, how do we actually start? What what website, what company, what brokerage, what, which ones do you use or what do you recommend to your friends, Sam? Sure. So 
we've talked mostly about Vanguard. Now, the interesting thing with Vanguard is Vanguard is is an online website portal that has their funds, but you can also invest in Vanguard index funds from all around the world, I believe. So wherever you're at, if you're in Australia, Singapore, or Mexico, take a look and see if you can you can access uh, index funds from Vanguard. So that, that's where I do the majority of my investing. And I'll go over just a couple other things that I do as well. There's something called robo-advisors. The two biggest ones, again, I hate to only use US references, but there are robo-advisors in a lot of different countries, so look them up. But a robo-advisor basically does all this stuff automatic for you. So Johnny and I have talked about different funds, such as the S&P 500, Dow Jones, BTI, and there are endless possibilities of index funds that you can build a portfolio out of. And you can spend countless hours researching and trying to, to pick that ideal portfolio. So what Robo's advisors do is they do all that for you. They say, hey, we need to know how much money you have, what your income is, what your risk tolerance is, and we need to understand how you would act in a few different situations, namely like this coronavirus. Do you get super emotional? And and with that, they're going to give you a risk level. So Johnny and I both use a robo-advisor or have in the past. I'm a risk level eight. Johnny's a risk level 10. And with that, they, they create your portfolio and they give you very limited control over that portfolio. You can't go in and say, no, I want more in this fund or more in this fund. It is what it is. And you also, have to reinvest the dividends back into these funds. So it's an ultra simplified investing experience. Um, for people that like control, it's terrible because you can't do much of anything. For people that are just getting started, I think it's a great utility. One downside, they do charge a 25 basis point fee for this service. So that's 0.25%, 0.25% fee for the service. But I think it's a great product for people that, that want to get in, get started uh, and don't want to spend countless hours researching and, and putting together a portfolio. So I use a company called Wealthfront. There's also Betterment. Um, so I have Vanguard, I have Wealthfront, and then I also have an E-Trade account, which I pick stocks, funds, all types of things, bonds, municipal bonds. But I will be honest, there's not a need for all this. And in fact, if we weren't doing this podcast, I wouldn't have at least one of these accounts. I'm doing, I have, I maintain these accounts largely so that we can come on the, the podcast, Johnny, and, and talk about things and compare differences in the experience of having them all. But definitely for the, for the typical person out there, you don't need three or four accounts. You need one investing account. And we can talk about a couple of them. Johnny, what, what, what other ones come to mind when you think of these things? Yeah, I, I definitely agree that you just need to pick one of the above. Uh, Wealthfront or Betterment. They're very similar. We've had on the CEOs of both companies for us to ask all the questions that, that we had. So listen to episode 22 of Invest Like a Boss for the, uh, the episode with John Stein, the Betterment CEO, or uh, listen to, I believe it's episode... 50, which we had on CEO of Wealthfront, Andy Radcliffe, and those dive in much, much deeper. Or you can have Vanguard. Uh, and with Vanguard, actually, if you, what's nice about Vanguard is if you're buying BTI, there's no account minimum. You can put in, you know, a hundred bucks. But if you are willing to put in, I think, $3,000 or more, you can actually sign up for something called the Admiral Shares, which then gives you access to their mutual fund, low cost mutual fund version of VTI, which is called something else. But what that allows you to do is you could set up with one of their advisors, a 
automatic withdrawal from your bank account and investment into that in, into that fund every every month so it becomes very automated I haven't done that because I actually like logging in and uh, and buying and I'm pretty good at not being emotional but for a lot of people I know a lot of friends I've told them I said like look man I, I know you're not the type to we even remember to log in every single month I also know that if you log in you're probably gonna you know, be like ah, I don't know that seems kind of expensive I shouldn't buy it so for those people uh, I would recommend just using a robo-advisor. At the end of the day, speculation at least is the money that they're saving from the other services like dollar cost averaging, I mean, uh, sorry, the tax loss harvesting could potentially pay for that 0.025% fee, which is very low anyways. It's higher than you know, mm-hmm. the, the super um, boggleheads would, would want it to be. But at the end of the day, it's really not that much money. And if they can save that to you in their, their tax savings, it ends up kind of evening out. And Sam and I have links to both and invest like a boss.com under resources where you can get the first five or $10,000 managed for free. I would advise people just to go through their, their sign-up process and answer those, those survey questions that Sam mentioned, just to kind of see what your risk tolerance is, just to kind of really understand what you would do in these scenarios. And it's okay wherever you are. And it's funny because my cousin just went through this and he was te- like texting me screenshots saying, hey, what should I answer here? And I just said to him, I was like, just answer it truthfully. It's not like a... <laughs> It's not like a, a, a school test where you're going to fail, you know? This is for your own yeah. good. They want to know what you would be comfortable with. Mm-hmm. That's right. And one good thing with these robo-advisors, Johnny, is that they will automatically reinvest your dividends back into the funds. This is something that we recommend anyways, especially for people just starting out. Some people that are retired, instead of reinvesting those dividends back into the funds, you'll actually just take those dividends in cash. cash and oftentimes you can live off that cash. But if you're just getting started out and you want to build true long-term wealth, you want to reinvest those dividends back into the funds. And what is great about a period like this where we're going through a market pullback, say 35 40%, is that even if you do nothing, even if you, you don't invest here or buy in it when things are down, even if you do nothing, your funds are distributing cash. And that cash is buying those funds at a much lower level. So on the whole, when things recover, however long it takes, you'll be better off because you'll be buying the funds that you're already in at a much lower price. So when everything recovers, you're going to gain 35, 40% on, uh, on those, on, on those new shares that you bought. So there is a silver lining to all this. Even if you, even if you do nothing, your, your account should be better off when things re, uh, recover long-term. Yeah, definitely. And if you guys aren't from the U S there are international versions, as, as Sam mentioned, uh, funds where you can either invest with Vanguard international or, through your local brokerage company. Uh, I have a friend, we just spent the weekend uh, up in northern Sri Lanka. She's Russian. So she has a Russian stockbroker where she buys Vanguard funds through, invest through. And it's a very, very low fee. Mm. So she says it works perfectly. Uh, there's another uh, site called Interactive Brokers. They sell Vanguard mm. fee, uh, funds. Uh, and they. I, I think you can open an account from pretty much every country in the world. So that's the most popular one. We'll have links to all this in the show notes. Uh, but if you're in the, in the US, you can sign up directly with Vanguard, with Wellfront, with Betterment. You can use our links to get the the free um, manage, you know, managed fees. And But just pick one. Don't, don't 
open all four. There's no reason to. Just choose one and just be honest with yourself. If you are the type that you know you're not going to log in every month or you're not going to follow the plan, use a robo-advisor. The downside to it is that that tiny, tiny fee, which you know is going to be literally 20 bucks a year for, for most people. Really, it's not that big of a deal. The other downside is they will force you to invest in a little bit of bonds, even if you're at risk 10-10, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, because they do not want their clients, their members to panic during the next downturn. So when you log in your account, they'll always make it look like things are fine. (laughs) They'll invest you in things that aren't as aggressive, even if you put 10 to 10. And that's why I personally don't like uh, putting that much money in there. Uh, I have a little bit in there just to just because it's not a bad investment for me, but I like being ultra risky. I like being in 100% control of my, of my investments. And I don't want to have any of my money in bonds. But for most people, it's you're going to be fine. You're going to be better than 98% of your friends and your family, your coworkers, if you just did that. And for anyone who's just getting started that thinks maybe they don't want to do a robo-advisor, maybe they want to just build their portfolio of index funds themselves via Vanguard or interactive brokers, keep it simple to start. You can get super carried away with this stuff. It's a massive rabbit hole. You'll Once you start diving into it, I think a lot of you will get obsessed with it. Uh, I just looked at my Vanguard account. I have 20 different index funds, all right? And that's overkill. That is pure and simple. That's overkill. You don't need that much. The performance difference that you're going to get out of 20 funds versus three or four funds is negligible. What you want to do is keep it simple to start and understand what you're in because the most important thing is you stick with it. If you start moving things around, selling things at different times, getting out of it because you just don't like that portfolio, that's what'll kill you and set you really far back. So just keep it simple. Pick a few of the funds that Johnny and I talked about. Do your own research. Uh, we'll, we'll leave a link to Paul Merriman's got the kind of ultimate buy and hold portfolio, which I did a lot of my modeling off of, but keep it simple and get started. Yeah. And to be honest, if you guys have less than $100,000 just by VTI and nothing else. The only reason why you need to diversify is at a certain point, it, it makes sense to be like, all right, well, I don't want to have all my eggs in one basket. But if you have less than $100,000 in total investments, I would say one or two things, either 100% VTI or you can do VTI and VXUS, the the international one. You can, you can do it 50-50 or however you want. And that's it. Don't worry about anything else. Do that. Keep listening to the, to the podcast so you can get other ideas. You can diversify. And, and the reason why we have this podcast and we invest in other things as well is because we do like to diversify. Not only is it fun, not only does it encourage us to not spend money on, you know, on useless things, going out, you know, shopping or, <laughs> buy, you know, buying clothes and, you know, buying things that we don't really need like cars and, and things that you know, most Americans do when they have extra cash, Sam and I have been buying investments that have been paying us money. It's almost a, it's a habit. It's a hobby. And it makes, right. and, and, you know, the current day with the internet makes it so easy to be able to, to buy, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And it's, it's exciting. Too easy. <laughs> it also makes it too easy to sell, which is why you're seeing some some of this massive volatility. Because 30 years ago, you had to call people up, or you had to mail in orders and things. It's it was a lot more complicated to b- get in or get out. Now it's it's too easy in a sense, which makes it great uh, if you have your your emotions under control. But you can easily with two clicks get into an account and start selling things. Uh, and that's why you got to understand these investments. If anyone wants to go back and listen to more details on how Johnny and I created our index 
fund allocation. You can listen to episode 86. And we talk a lot about the actual funds that we're holding in Vanguard. And I think that's probably evolved a little bit now. But I think, Johnny, you're probably still where you're at with 86. You've just added more funds to each of those uh, or more. Yeah, more money to each of those funds that you're in. Yeah, I'm, I'm still just in, in those three funds. Uh, and if anything, I would just be in those two that I mentioned. So lots and lots to, to learn, to grow. We hope that all of you stick with us for many, many years and everybody makes a lot of money and more importantly, doesn't lose money during the, the downturns. Read those two, you know, one of the two books that we had mentioned, Unshakable or Simple Path to Wealth. Re-listen to this episode, share this with your friends, your family members, anyone who's thinking about investing, and then discuss it together. And I promise you what we talked about in this episode and the, in, in any either of those books is enough to start investing and you don't need any other info. But for those people who do want more, come join our Patreon. Or if you want to support the show, if you're just like, you know, Johnny Sam, really appreciate you you sitting down and giving us giving me this honest advice you know this is something i would have happily paid uh you know a, a broker or a financial advisor for support the show go to investlikeaboss.com and click on patron uh and that way you can get access into our special kind of vip group where sam and i are actually going to have a, an episode about what we're personally buying and selling during this this recession i'm going to be going in um in detail on my kind of my strategy of setting up 60 days worth of buying, kind of tier buying uh, strategies. And, and it gets a lot more advanced. It's not anything you need when you're starting out, but it can potentially help a lot if you're a little bit more seasoned. So definitely uh, check that out. And, and we appreciate it if you do support the show. And just as important for everybody, no matter where in the world you are, Hope you take care, stay safe and healthy during this time of turmoil and uncertainty. A lot of craziness going on in the world. Let's hope it gets cleared up quick. And let's take care of our elders who are most vulnerable to this virus that's running around. Yeah, definitely. And make sure you guys take care of yourselves because at the end of the day, if you can't even take care of yourself, you know, you can't really expect uh, you'll be able to take care of anyone else. So we're here to we're here to help any way we can. Uh, if you want to join our our group, our Facebook group, Look for Invest Like a Boss on Facebook or just go to investlikeaboss.com. You can click on resources. It's all there. The group, uh, there's two ways to get admitted to it. One is you can either uh, give us a review on the iTunes store or wherever you guys hang out online. Uh, or if you're a patron, just let us know that you're a patron already. And in this group, we have lots of just top name bosses, really, really smart people in there. Sam and I chime in uh, Whenever we, we find time, we always uh, respond to the comments in the patron group, uh, but there's there's less people in there, so, so it's much easier for us. Uh, so, you know, if you want any kind of personalized help, you can ask in the patron group, uh, and we're happy to help there. And we do appreciate you taking the time to leave a review on iTunes. If this episode has helped you, please help us spread the show by telling your friends about it. And when you leave a review, it helps bump us up in the podcast rankings. So when people are searching for investment podcasts, we'll come up near the top. So this week, I want to thank uh, JC333, who says investment ideas that can be implemented immediately, five stars. I really enjoy this podcast because I can relate to what they talk about and go through. Sam is a great interviewer with great questions and clear ideas. Keep it up. So thanks, Sam, for you being a, a great interview and a co-host. And thanks to all of you listeners for leaving all these great reviews. Yeah, that's great, guys. Appreciate you all. And stay tuned to some big name guests coming up in the month ahead and also our dedicated episode on 
coronavirus and how we're playing it. All right. See you guys. Thanks for listening to the Best Like a Boss podcast. Join our mailing list at investlikeaboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment portfolios and our private members forum. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.